Now when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. And there are also many other traditions that they observe, the washing of cups, pots, and bronze kettles. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? He said to them, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites. As it is written, the people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. Then he called the crowd again and said to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile. But the things that come out are what defile. For it is from within from the human heart, that evil intentions come. Fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, folly, all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Why do we follow laws? Assuming that most of the time we tend to be law-abiding citizens, what's our motivation for doing so? Let's think about driving. If you're following the rules of the road, then you're wearing your seatbelt, you're stopping at stop signs and red lights, and you're going the speed limit. If we're honest with ourselves, sometimes these rules are a little annoying to follow like when we're running late, or when we think we know better about a safe speed for a certain road, or when you're making a right at a four-way stop and you don't really see anyone else around, isn't it better for your gas mileage if you don't make that full three-second stop? Often, we, own our own, we see our own transgressions as forgivable, because when I break the rules, I'm bending them in ways that are obviously still pretty safe. But man, is it easy to point out when others are getting it wrong. That was my right of way. Try using a turn signal. Slow down. I would guess that at least some of the time, we're guilty of forgetting why we have these laws in the first place. At their core, these rules are meant to be life-giving. In a country where car accidents take 36,000 lives a year, the rules when followed protect us from hurting ourselves and others. In fact, despite population growth, death from car accidents have been on a relatively steady decline since the mid-1960s. So it's working. The rules are keeping us safe. Doing your best to be a cautious and courteous driver, following the rules, 
is one of the ways we can love our neighbors. Now just imagine if every time we started our cars, we thought about this. I'm going to drive this car as carefully as I can because I am a child of God and I love my neighbors. Imagine how that would change our mindset as we drove if the intent behind driving well wasn't just about avoiding punishment for breaking the rules, but simply driving with love. I say all of this because all three of our readings today ask us to consider the law, specifically God's law. The law is given to Moses for the people of Israel to order their days, to set them apart as God's people. Most of us don't have that much familiarity with the laws from our Hebrew scriptures. We know the Ten Commandments, but we're less familiar with all the laws concerning diet and cleanliness and the rituals of daily life, at least less familiar with them than those who have lived by those laws. Sometimes as Christians, maybe because of people like Martin Luther and others, We view the laws of the First Testament like a set of rules you don't want to get caught breaking, commandments you're only following to avoid God's wrath, laws that are impossible to follow perfectly, and therefore they point us to the need for God. We even have the phrase law and gospel, which makes it feel like somehow law is the opposite of gospel. But that's not how those who follow the law feel about God's law. For those who follow the law, it's beautiful and sacred. As a modern example, Laura Winner in Mudhouse Sabbath writes, the rhythms and routines found in the law draw the sacred down into everyday life. Keeping kosher means thinking intentionally about every meal. The difference between following Atkins or following kosher is God. You might follow Atkins because your doctor cares about what you eat, but we eat kosher food because God cares about what we eat. The law reveals that God cares about the intricacies of daily life. As we see in our first reading this morning, for the Israelites, God's law was a gift. It was a matter of their identity as God's people. It was seen as life-giving. The book of Deuteronomy praises the law. We read in verses 7 and 8, For what other great nation has a God so near to it as our Lord our God is whenever we call to him? And what other great nation has statutes and ordinances as just as this entire law? that I'm setting before you today. The law demonstrated God's love for God's people, God's intimate involvement in the mundane moments of life. It guided their lives in a way that made life better, not just for individuals, but for the whole community. Many of the laws protected the poorest in the community. Rules about harvesting your field and leaving areas that were open to gleaning, forgiving debts, creating cities of refuge. Later in Deuteronomy as well, we read that the Lord your God will 
circumcise your heart, a phrase that always makes me smile, but also demonstrates that it's not just about the external observances, that following the law comes down to something internal. Now, with this understanding of our law as the foundation, we can consider what's going on in our gospel text. Here, the scribes and the Pharisees are concerned by how the disciples are keeping the law. Specifically, they didn't appear to wash their hands before eating. Jesus doesn't say the law is bad. Jesus doesn't say no one should ever wash their hands. His concern really isn't about the law at all. He's concerned about hypocrisy. Jesus and his disciples have healed the sick and fed the hungry and preached the message of God's love. They are doing God's life-giving work, being led at a heart level by the principles of charity and mercy and justice. But this group of Pharisees, the religious folks at the time, are focused on outward observances, how these things are being done, what they see the disciples not doing, concerned about how others are following the law, and not looking at themselves with a critical eye, wondering where they might be falling short. Religious people still tend to do this. We're not immune to it today. It's so much easier to spot the wrongdoings in others than to examine ourselves, right? Jesus doesn't dismiss the whole of God's law, but he does want to redirect their focus. If following the law is only about the outside stuff and we're not tending to what's going on in here, in our heart, then we're missing it. We're missing the whole point. Because the law is meant to give life, to form the identity of God's people, to be a guide, to live into God's justice and compassion. So rather than focusing so much on all the outer stuff, the rituals and practices and traditions, really look into what is going on inside. We have a capacity for evil, the ability to hurt one another. But we also have the ability to be vessels of God's love, to make real change in the world. And that's the part that God cares about the most. As people who follow Jesus today, most of the laws found in the First Testament aren't part of our religious spiritual practices. But this discussion of the law is still important for how we practice and live out our faith. We have our own rules and rituals that come from scripture and from tradition and our heritage. They form our identities. We attend church weekly on Sundays, take communion, give an offering, listen to a sermon, And after doing these things, we might feel like we've checked all the boxes, fulfilled the law, if you will, thinking we're good people for finding time to get to church each week. 
It's a little like focusing on the outward stuff without looking in. And it pains me to say this because I spend a really good part of my week preparing for Sunday worship. But worship on its own isn't the goal of a Christian life. Worship is what prepares us and strengthens us and renews us for a life following Christ. Worship gets us ready for the work that happens in the world, feeding the hungry, caring for the lonely, seeking justice and peace, allowing the Holy Spirit to transform us and write God's law on our hearts. Like our reading from James says, true religion is pure and undefiled before God. It is to care for the orphans and the widows in their distress. When the law is written on our hearts, we live differently. Not doing these things out of obligation or avoiding wrath, but out of joy. Out of overflowing love that we simply cannot contain in our own bodies, so it must be shared Love that manifests in packaging meals and making school kits and growing food for our neighbors and coming together to help someone in their grief, nurturing children in their education, doing our weekday work informed by love, praying for the sick, and hearing of just about any need and finding a way to meet that need together. God's law is a gift that reveals God's heart, the will of God for all of creation. And Jesus, the word made flesh, also reveals God's heart, embodying, living God's will. So may God's law be written on our hearts so that we can be vessels of God's love. So our words and our actions and everything we do can reveal God's heart and bring glory to God who first loved us. Amen.